When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode Matt Gilroy of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. The Sens are in the midst of an insane stretch of games in the second half of the season, and this is the only time they have three days off the rest of the way. So while we have these days off, I thought I could bring on my colleague and former guest, Beata, Beata Elliott. <laughs> Sorry, see, I already messed up your name there. It's all good, though. Uh, Beata, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for coming on again, despite the late time difference tonight. Um, appreciate you. No problem. I, uh, I was just thinking about it, and I realized that the only time I've been on the Cost for Point cast was to be sad about the Eric Carlson trade. So it's been a while. It's good to be back. That's true. Yeah, that that was... Um, I don't want to say that was a fun time necessarily, but it was it was an interesting conversation. Cathartic, you know? Very, very much so. Yeah, so... Yeah, it has been a while. Um, I guess that would have been, what, September 2018. So um, simultaneously feels like a long time ago and not a long time ago at all. But now with this season, the trade deadline is obviously less than a month away. And Pierre Doran has said that this year will hopefully be their last as sellers. I mean, can't guarantee anything. And Ottawa doesn't have nearly as many intriguing trade options this year. But there are some pending UFAs that I want to talk about. So I thought we could kind of go through all of them and talk about whether we want to either move them or keep them. And first on the docket, I think probably the most interesting guy, the guy who's talked about the most, is Nick Paul. Uh, should they try to re-sign Nick Paul pretty much at any cost, or should, should they deal him? Definitely somewhere in the middle. It's a really tricky one, honestly, because he's a really important part of the team. He's a guy that I know a lot of people want to have around. But he is very much a bottom six forward, and I think I'd be okay with the Sens, like, overpaying a little bit for what he provides, but not a lot. Like, some of the numbers I've seen floating around, I'm like, mm, good teams don't, do not pay their bottom six forwards, like, three million a year. That's, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, nah, maybe if we can go to, like, two million, I, I'd be okay with that. So it, it really depends what he's asking for. For sure, yeah, and I, I think I agree there. I, I saw someone today saying something about you know four million dollars per per year for four to five years, and I just yeah. think that would be a no, bit no, ridiculous. No. Like, uh, you know, I feel no, like people would give... be. No, go ahead. Yeah, no. If you're like okay, if you're gonna pay one of your like bottom six forwards four million dollars, do that. Like, give that to either like Alex Formanton if you want him in the bottom six, or Connor Brown or Shane Pinto. Those are three players mm-hmm. that I think could all make up a better third line than anything that you could put that you could make with Paul. Right? Like, they have other options if they want to like spend in their bottom six on like you know like the the third line players and stuff. Yeah, I I think that no, I, I wouldn't give that kind of money to Nick Paul. Absolutely, and I think it's important to note that you know. Well, first of all, I don't want to come across as slandering the guy because I do really like him and I think most people want to keep him um, 
you know, just at a reasonable price. But he's never been on pace for 30 points in a full season. I think he was on pace for 29 the past two. Um, he had the exact same point rates. And this year, I think he's around that that mark as well. So, you know, this is a guy that's probably best suited for like the fourth line. You know, he can certainly play on your third and maybe second uh, a few games here and there. But he's he's not that offensive. So I think... I think I'm similar to you where like, okay, maybe 3 million max, but like that, that's quite a lot. I, I would kind of put that limit personally more around like two and a half. I think that'd be like kind of a nice, nice middle ground, but I feel like so many people complain about the Colin White contract. I mean, don't you think that people would be complaining <laughs> so about true. this one if he was making more than 4 million? Yeah. I feel like if they want to give him 3 million, give him 3 million over like two years. Yeah. So that by the time you need contracts for your like guys on ELCs, then you have more room. If you right. sign him long term to three million, like what are you doing? Like a really useful tool actually um, that I was using today because I knew that we were going to talk about this on the podcast is on Cap Friendly. You can check like teams' depth charts, and so if you look at like the cup contending teams and you see like it, Cap Friendly will like break down. This is their third, they're their first line, and here's what each guy is making, and their second line, here's what each guy is making, like. Top teams do not pay bottom six forwards more than like one million a year. No. Like maybe they'll have like one one third line guy who's making four million and that's it, right? Um a, f- a few exceptions, but like for the most part, it's it's under two million for anyone in the bottom six. For sure. Yeah. And you can't be overpaying these guys. And I am curious to see what he's asking for because I I just feel like even on the open market, he he doesn't really how do I phrase this? Like he he I don't think he has the case to be asking for, you know, more than $3 million or something. Like, I just don't think he'd be getting that on the open market. Like, maybe if he had some playoff pedigree or something, um, you know, similar to a guy like Barclay Goodrow, something like that. But I just don't think he has that. So, I mean, it, it would be pretty disappointing if they do trade him just because, you know, they're going to be looking for a guy like Paul once they, or if they do trade him. Mm-hmm. I mean, but what do you think they could actually get? in return for him if they do end up trading him in the next month? I feel like he is pretty valuable as, like, a rental at the price that he, like, at the salary that he has right now. I think cup contending teams would go, wow, like, that's a really cheap depth player that could really help us on a cup run. Um, I don't think they would re-sign him for if he's asking for a lot of money. If he's asking for too much money for the Ottawa Senators, I don't think a cup contending team is going to give him that. Right, I feel like a bad team would give him like a mm-hmm. lot of money, right? Yeah, um, but yeah. a good team wouldn't. But I don't know, like, yeah, he might be able to get like a, I don't know, a third round pick, possibly, like maybe a second, but that's stretching it. I, yeah. I don't know, honestly. For sure, yeah, and I think it all depends on what his sort of imaginary value is, right? Like, if you just look at the the surface stats, he's probably, like you said, worth a third or something. But you know, maybe he's one of these guys that like. Paul Gostad, who ended up getting a first uh, first round pick like ten years ago or whatever it was, um, just because of this perceived extra value. So, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe maybe some team out there is, is willing to to move a decent prospect. In which case, it wouldn't be so bad, but certainly you know a fan favorite and seems like a very liked guy in the team. So I would be sad to see him go. And I don't know. I can't. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I assume you're the same. Yeah, it'd be very sad. And I don't know if any other team values Nick Paul as much as Ottawa does. Like, yeah. I, I, it, to me, it seems more likely that the Suns are going to overpay him than, like, 
just give him away for nothing. But then again, it's the Sens, so they might do anything. But, like, I don't know. It's hard to picture other teams looking at Nick Paul and thinking that he has more value than the Sens think he has, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty fair. It, that happens with a lot of depth players that we've had over the years that just sort of go to another team and kind of disappear almost. So, um, yeah, I would not be surprised at all. Now, another guy I want to talk about who is sort of in the similar mold but isn't really talked about very much is Zach Sanford. Um, are you wanting to re-sign him or trade him? Honestly, just trade him. I, like, I Zach Sanford's okay. I'm not sure that he's a good fit on this Senators team. Like, he just seems kind of invisible a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe this is going into, like, boring hockey cliches. But, like, I don't know. The Sens really pride themselves on being, like, a, a really hard-working team and stuff. And I don't know. Zach Sanford just doesn't fit that mold from what I've seen. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just, like, slandering all these players right now. But, like, <laughs> he has, like, some offensive skill, but I'm not wowed by him at any point. He doesn't seem to be, like, really giving it all his all every night. Like, you know, Tyler Ennis is. We'll, obviously, we'll talk about him later. But, um, and, and, like, the Suns have so many prospects that are going to be coming up in the next few years. Like, they really, I think the best thing they can do right now is just clear out all of the like clutter that they have in their bottom six. And Zach Sanford is one guy that I'm definitely willing to part with there. For sure. And I think I agree with a lot of that. I think he has been sort of invisible and I would, I will say he, he looks better than he did, I guess in the early going. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I, you know, this season, last season were worse than I guess a couple seasons ago was when he had, I think he had 16 goals that year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, same thing, like, I am just pretty indifferent to him. I would be fine if they resend him for one year. I think beyond that, though, it's probably not worth it. Um, and you're probably yeah, getting... Sure. You're probably getting less than you are for Nick Paul. Like, maybe you get a fourth-round pick or something, which, I mean, I guess yeah. I would take. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, another guy that is... I feel like just on a downward slope is Chris Tierney. Uh, you know, he had 48 points in his first season in Ottawa, and he's just slowly, you know, depreciating in value. Can Ottawa this even man get anything? Is where offense goes to die. Exactly. Watch, like just watching him on the ice is yeah. painful sometimes. Like I, I, I don't hate the guy. For sure. You know, again, I'm not gonna like. I don't want to come on here and just like slander every single guy, but like really, <laughs> he. No, I, I can't really see a, a future for him. Uh, with this team. I'm sure that his next contract would be a lot cheaper than what he makes right now. And that was one of my issues with him is like, why are we paying Chris Tierney like 3.5 million? He's what our like third, fourth highest paid player that's not on IR right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think there would even be a market for him? Like, do you think any uh, a team would give up any sort of pick for him at the deadline? Uh, well, because I want to say like, maybe, because he does like, he is pretty good defensively from what I understand like at least his stats are decent um even if he doesn't have a lot of offensive upside he you know has played in lots of different situations in Ottawa we know very well that he's on the power play these days um (laughs) maybe some teams would be willing to give something up for him but then I'm also like I mean it's gonna have to be a real bad team because the teams that are up against the cap are not going to take on... I mean, even with the deadline, I know it's like a lower cap hit and stuff, but like $3.5 million is a lot to pay Chris Tierney. That is true, yeah. I mean, a team that is close to the cap is not really... 
I'm sure they're going to be looking at much better options. So, and and Ottawa is not a team to retain salary very often. So, time to play someone on LTIR so you can fit Chris Tierney under the there cap. Go. Let's go. Leafs. I mean, they just put Muzzin on, or I don't know if they actually did, but they were rumored to at least. So, there you go. There's uh, there's the Leafs acquisition. Um, <laughs> now, a guy we mentioned before this is our good pal, hardworking Tyler Ennis. Um, I don't know. He's a tough one for me, but are, are you wanting to re-sign him or trade him? I'm kind of indifferent there. Like, um, I don't think Tyler Ennis is a guy that, like, yes, you absolutely must re-sign him and it's some huge failure if he leaves, right? Um, but I, I think, like, if you're looking at your roster for next year and there's an open spot for Tyler Ennis, like, I'm certainly happy to keep him on at the league minimum contracts that he has right now. If he's If he's happy to stay for a low cost he's cheap depth for sure i mean you know he was signed on a pto to begin the season and then had that you know sign the actual nhl contract shortly after that you know we saw two years ago he was having a really good season in ottawa he was like a perfect third line player and they only got a fifth round pick for him so you know two years later i don't really know how much they would get for him anyway Mm -hmm. but yeah like you say if they got a spot i'm kind of similar with sanford like if if they sign him for one year, I'm totally fine. If they move on from him, I don't think it's too much of a loss. But yeah. I will say, it's really fun to watch him play. He's just a ball of energy out there. And it just seems like he's working hard every single shift. And he's clearly, like, so well-liked among his teammates yeah. and stuff, too. Like, everybody loves this guy. Like, I, I would really like to see him stay. Um, I, I just don't think the sense. I don't think he should be, like, a, a huge priority, right? No. But no. It, it would be nice if he could stick around for it, another year or two. Yeah. And, you know, as a as a man who's 5'8", it's great to have another short king on the team, too. So, <laughs> okay, two more here. And this is the only defenseman on the list, Josh Brown. What are your thoughts on keeping or... I mean, you can't him? teach big. You have to keep yes. him around, right? Um <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, nobody tweet me about that one. No, I, I think that's the the easiest. Uh, please, please, please get rid of him. Yeah, yeah. And and can I you, can you imagine? I'm oh, sorry. I was gonna. I was thinking about this earlier. Can you imagine if his pairing with Brandstrom ends up being so good that they keep him along? Uh. They keep him around for another year because he's so good that they're at Brandstrom. Like this is my fear right now because they've been really good together. Like weirdly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and now I'm like, oh no, are they going to keep Josh Brown? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, he has actually been a bit better of late, but you know, you sort of wonder how much of that is is playing with Brandstrom. And yeah, my one worry is that you know DJ has this allegiance to him, where you know he coached him in Windsor in the OHL, so hopefully they can still kind of see, okay, this guy isn't really that cut out. Like maybe he's like a seventh, eighth, eighth defenseman, but certainly not someone you can rely on, you know, even in third pairing minutes, I don't really want him there, but hopefully they can at least find somebody like, I won't deny the fact that they, they definitely need some size and like toughness on, on the back end, but you can't just have a guy like Brown who that's all he does. Like you need a guy who can actually, actually move the puck as well. And Brown just certainly isn't that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have so much size and toughness up front already that, like, I don't know, maybe does that make up for it, right? Like, if you have a bunch of wingers, you got, like, Brady Kachuk and, you know, even a lot of the other wingers who can really hit, maybe you can kind of, like, lose a bit of that on defense, but I don't know. For sure, yeah. I I think sometimes they put too much of an emphasis on 
on uh, toughness and things like that. So, you know what? I, I bet you he just ends up walking. I, I can't imagine there being much of a market for him, but mm-hmm. who knows? Braden Coburn was traded last year as well. So, and lastly, one of the more intriguing options as well is Anton Forsberg. Um, you know, he's up to a 917 save percentage in 24 games this, this season. Do you think they want to keep him around at least for, for this season, just so Gustafson can stay in the AHL or potentially even resign him? Or do you think it'll be a good market for him on the trade market? It's definitely like, that's another like really kind of interesting one. Um, Cause I don't know if there's a clear answer. It's great that he's been playing well, but you also have to keep in mind that Gustafson is on a one-way contract next year. Mm-hmm. And like, but then there's also the fact that Matt Murray is constantly injured. So like you do kind of need, you know, two other options in net. Um, and, you know, having Forsberg and Gustafson does help there. But ultimately, I think like you're probably never going to get higher value for Forsberg. And there are a lot of teams looking for goaltenders. And so I think it would be worth it to get rid of him now, bring up Gustafson, see what Gustafson can do before you're like, you know, like stuck with him in, right. in the NHL next year, right? Because this season you still have the option to kind of move him back and forth um, between the AHL and the NHL. So I feel like that that makes the most sense to me. Like you just kind of get rid of Forsberg first and then if Gustafson sucks, then you have a whole summer to figure out that problem, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's a good strategy to sort of know what you have going into next season. And I think we have a large enough sample in Forsberg's career to know that he's certainly not starter. I mean, he has a career 907 save percentage. Like, you know, he's been solid, especially of late. He's been really good. Um, you know, potentially he can be your like, okay backup or something, but you know, we've seen this trend with Hammond, Condon, Nielsen, like all these guys backups that they resign end up just not being good the following year or years. Um, so It'd be nice to see them buck that trend and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not trust Gustafson, but not put so much faith into a guy who is just having a good, like, 15-game stretch or something. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously, this so this trade deadline will be so much different than, than previous seasons. I mean, in, in 2019, we had Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. In 2020, we had Pajot. Um, last, even last season, there was... God, I can't even remember. Who who did we have? I guess we had Good Branson, Coburn. I don't think there were big ones. Yeah. No, who who would have been the other ones? Mike um, Riley too. Yeah, Riley. Yeah. So I guess last year yeah. was kind of similar to this year, but you know, potentially no, I think it's funny. Oh, I, I think it's funny that Dorian is talking about it. This like our last of sellers. Like, oh yeah. man, the Chris Tierney sweepstakes for oh, big yeah. sellers this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this seems like a weird uh, a weird word to use when like most of these pending UFAs we're talking about are all like Will anyone pay even a seventh-round pick for this guy? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, if they get any sort of, like, second or third-round picks, I'll be pretty ecstatic for for some of those guys. So, um, I guess except Nick Paul. I'd be be sad to see him go. But, um, you know, still something to to watch as we head into the deadline. Um, But what's really fascinating about this team is that they were once again horrendous for the first 20 games of the season going... 4-15-1, Four fifteen and one, but you know they've been quite respectable. Respectable since then, going fifteen eleven and four. What do you think are some of the biggest reasons why we've seen that shift, 
and how should we move this team? Sorry, how should we view this team moving forward? Yeah, I think there are a lot of factors. Um, to be honest, I do think they deserved a slightly better fate early in the season. Like, they didn't deserve to be in a playoff spot, but there were a lot of games early on where they almost won and, like, you know, a few bounces could have gone their way and they might have gotten a better result. And I felt like, you know, when they had the COVID outbreak, obviously that didn't help things. And it, it kind of felt like it just got to a point where they were losing so much that they were so, like, demoralized. And you could just see watching them that it was really getting to their heads. And I feel like maybe if a few other bounces go their way early in the season, it's a different story. Um, but that said, like, they're still definitely playing better by, like, every metric. And I think, like, goaltending is a factor. Playing more young players, especially defensemen, like, having three pairings that can move the puck almost every night. We're now getting to that point with Brandstrom up in the um, in the NHL, right? Like, I, I think that has made a big difference. Um, and just, like, a lot, of, a lot of young players kind of taking steps forward, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the penalty kill as well. Like, they're 12th in the league now at 80.9%. And that's, we haven't seen a, a above average penalty kill in Ottawa in years. So that is, you know, certainly a large part of that yeah. is because of goaltending. But it's just been nice to see, you know, guys like Connor Brown and Formanton um, just being excellent on, on the penalty kill where they can actually create chances, offensive chances on the penalty kill. So that has been nice. Yeah, and like, it looks like the penalty kill looks good too. Yeah. Like I, I'm not usually like usually when the sends are on the penalty kill, I'm not like you know nervous, right? I I'm not like yeah. waiting for the other team to score. I'm pretty relaxed because they're keeping all the shots to the outside. And um, yeah, obviously Formanton creating problems. It was really funny in that game against the Wild. Yeah. There were some <laughs> some early penalty kills. I don't know if you watched that whole game, but man, like <laughs> the first period, he was creating so many problems on the penalty kill. It was hilarious, right? I mean, but, like that that just keeps happening. Yeah, like he. He could have easily had, like, a hat-trick in that first period. So, uh, I mean, even the power play, it's I believe it's below average right now. But just in terms of movement and chances and, like, how much more cohesive they look, you know, obviously you're they're missing Drake Batherson and Josh Norris. Like, those are two massive pieces, probably two of your best power play guys. Um, but just in terms of their movement compared to previous seasons, like, it looks like they know oh, yeah. what they're doing. Um, I will say it's just like a lot more fun to watch this team, I guess, over these, these past, how many games is that? Uh, 30 games. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like like you said with the, the power play, I found like watching that first unit when everyone was healthy was so much fun because mm-hmm. it's like, it's all like young guys who are going to stick around and you can just see how well it works, right? With like Shabbat at the point, you've got like Stritza and Batherson, like, you know, doing work around the corners and the sides. And then you've got Norris just like firing the puck with Brady causing problems in front of the net, right? Like they all had their role. It was perfectly, uh, perfectly set up. And there's just been a lot of that, like a lot of lines finding chemistry, um, pairings where you're like, oh, wait, that could actually be like a defense pairing in the future. Um, that's been very encouraging to watch for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Lot, lots to look forward to and, even for this season, there's there's lots to, you know, be excited for. And, you know, while we have those things to be optimistic about, I think if we look at this team next year and, and in the future, um, you know, there's certainly some guys that we can rely on, like those guys that you mentioned on that 
sort of first power play unit, as well as, you know, Formington and, and Zub and things like that. But there's certainly lots of other obvious holes. What are some holes that you think they need to plug over the next year or two? For me, the biggest holes in the lineup are um, the two wings on the second line, um, or at least in the top six. Um, I think, like, Formington and Brown can play in the top six, but I would rather not have both of them on the second line, and I think ideally they're both on the third line. Um, So it would be really nice to have, like, I don't know whether they're, like, looking for new players through trades, right? There are obviously lots of names floating around. Kevin all Fiala. Uh, I know Fiala Besser. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, Connor Garland. Uh, my mom's a Canucks fan and she oh, said he's good. He's a good fit on the Suns. Yeah, he's yeah. pretty good. Um, and it, it sounds like the, the Canucks are doing a fire sale. So we might be able to, <laughs> to capitalize on that. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like even just getting like one more winger there and then like, Maybe you have somebody come up from the minors that really impresses, or ideally, obviously, getting getting two new wingers. But that that to me is the thing that they need to sort out. Yeah, I, th- I certainly agree there. I mean, I had that written down as well. I think I think you could probably survive with Formington and Brown in the top six. Like, I think by definition, if you look at their you know point totals and stuff like that, they probably are like technically top six guys. But you know, if you have Kachuk on that first line who isn't like he's a really good player don't get me wrong but he's not like a star point per game player like if you don't have these stars um you know like Kucherov and Point and Stamkos and whatever you kind of need your second line to be a bit deeper mm-hmm. so yeah I totally agree I think if they could get you know someone like a Fiala or Besser I think that's a game changer for them um another young winger who's like you know yeah max 26 years old hopefully even younger Mm -hmm. well and even like you can you like yeah that's a decent second line like formanton and brown on the second line is fine but if you have formanton and brown on your second line who's on your third line exactly that's a problem right especially if you get rid of nick paul then you know injuries you're, you're looking for new bottom six wingers six players and like i think there are actually a lot of options in the minors like you know ridley Gregg, tyler boucher igor sokolov like lots of players who might eventually come in but we don't know for sure where they're going to fit in in the lineup and, and when they're going to be ready for a full-time NHL job. So I, I think the best thing they can do is like load up that second line, move their second liners down to the third line uh, and roll with that. Well, it's an, always an interesting conversation that I have with people where, you know, I might mention something like we're talking about where, you know, I say like, oh, they, they need to go and, and get another solid top six winger. And then people will say like, oh, well, Formantin or Brown and Brown are in that top six or, or whatever. And it's, you know, to your point, it's never a bad thing to have too many good players, right? Like if Alex oh. Formanton's on your third line, that's great. Like you look at a guy like Alex Kalorn on Tampa, he's like, you know, he was forever on their third line. Same with a guy like Yanni Gord. Uh, you know, if those guys are in your third line. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like if you have these solid players who can easily play in the top six but they're on your third line I mean that's a really good sign you're you're just gonna need like championship teams have more than six top six forwards you know what I mean like you're gonna need that depth yeah you need that especially because there are gonna be injuries like there are always gonna be injuries in your top six and you're gonna need people to fill in and yeah, I, I think people worry way too much about this this imaginary problem of like, what if we have too many good players? And uh, the, the horror. Is, like, a, 
these problems sort themselves out. Like, this isn't a problem that teams have. Nobody is going, oh, no, we have too many good players. B, that's a great problem to have if yeah. you do have that problem. And C, like, you can trade players. Good players have good trade value. If it yeah. turns out that there's this, like, huge backlog of, you know, oh, no, we have way too many top six forwards, like... Just trade some of them for other holes in your lineup. It's fine. Don't worry about this, guys. Absolutely. I mean, just acquire good players. It seems pretty straightforward. (laughs) But now one I I wanted to, another hole that I wanted to mention, and I'm curious on your thoughts. I I think they really, really need another top four defenseman. I think they're pretty set with Shabbat and Zub. I think Sanderson is almost a locked, even though he hasn't played an NHL game. Mm -hmm. I just feel like he's such a sure thing to be in that spot. Um, I think Brandstrom can certainly be in there. I'd still like to to see more and, and you know, they'll probably keep him on like the third pairing if, if Sanderson is playing. Um, but even if Brandstrom is there, I still think they could really use another right shot D who is solid. And, and maybe that's JBD or Thompson. I don't know, but I still feel like they really need another established guy on that right side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm I'm hoping that they continue to kind of rotate JBD and Thompson through the yeah. lineup, um, like they like they were doing for a while, um, just to see. Because I I hope that at least like by next season they'll have one roster spot for like one of them, right? Whether mm-hmm. you're rotating or you're like no Thompson's here and JBD's in the minors, right? Like you know whichever one it is, like I hope they have one spot locked down. Um, it's maybe also relevant to point out that they do have Holden on the left side and Branstrom can play his offside. Yeah. So potentially you could have like Shabbat Zub and then like Holden Branstrom and then, you know, like Sanderson uh, with somebody else on the, um, on the right side. So I think they have a few options there, but yeah, I agree that they, I agree that that's a hole in the lineup, but I'm also pretty confident that they're going to be able to fill that like with the options that they have internally. Like I wouldn't go out and like, look for trades to mm-hmm. fill that spot personally well and certainly i mean if you're looking at the trade market those kind of right shot d are always insanely expensive um yeah. you know a guy i think that would work perfectly who i've mentioned for multiple years and i think i think sean simpson mentioned this as well as eric chernak from tampa i mean okay. who knows if tampa would even want to move him like i don't know why they would necessarily but um someone of that mold i think would be a nice fit for them but mm-hmm. you know it could cost an arm and a leg, so it might not end up being worth it anyway. Yeah, and it's kind of like, if you're going to pay a lot for a guy that, like, you know, maybe you have, when you have so many internal options, like, why would you spend so much on a guy who, like, is going to do what it looks like the other players are going to be able to do, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm curious about your thoughts on in goal as well, because I just feel like there's so many wild cards. I think there's certainly potential with... You know, who knows, like if Matt Murray keeps this up, if if Gustafson can kind of bounce back, you know, they have guys like Mad Sogard and Levy Marilainen, Kevin Mandelays, certainly some options back there. Like, do you think that one of those guys at some point in the next few years will be that starting goalie? I don't know, man. Goalies are so weird. Like, yeah. I, it feels impossible to predict, right? And, you know, yeah, like Matt Murray, his play has been really encouraging, Um he, as I mentioned before, is like also injured a lot. So you really do need a solid backup if you're relying on Matt Murray as your starter, I feel. Um, and, you know, Gus has had some pretty good games, also had some bad ones. He's still pretty young. Like he's, I think he's like 22. So um, 
yeah, like I'm I'm hopeful that he'll turn it around, but honestly, I just feel like there's no way to to know. For sure, it's it's a fool's errand trying to predict these things with with goalies, but you know they have those five names like I mentioned, and and hopefully. You just have to hope for the best, I guess, <laughs> like you're essentially saying. So yeah. um, now for the last section here, I want to talk about some guys who haven't been talked about too much amongst everyone. You know, we we all know that Thomas Shabbat, Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, <laughs> Drake Batherson, Norris Zub, Formington, like all these guys, Brown as well. They've all been fantastic this year. But, you know, some tweener prospects like JBD, Thompson, Parker Kelly, Mark Kastelik, and Igor Sokolov, they're trying to establish themselves do you have any thoughts on those five guys coming up and playing, you know, some games here and there in the NHL? Yeah, well, I kind of feel like it's split into two categories. We've got, like, the baby defensemen that we're hoping are going to be, like, top four guys. Mm-hmm. And we've got, like, the the bottom six forwards for the most part, right? Um, for the defensemen, I've been really impressed with both of them. I know that, like, it's pretty common to see young defensemen come up and play one game and kind of wow everyone and then just sort of plateau after that. Um, but I, I have liked what I've seen from both. What I've noticed about like JBD and Thompson compared to each other, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find that Thompson is a much flashier player. Like I notice yeah. him a lot when he makes like when he makes big, like really good defensive moves you notice it on the on on screen right on the ice and you're like whoa Thompson he just made the coolest move and when he makes mistakes it's also like you know kind of dramatic um whereas JBD is just kind of invisible on the ice but when you pay it close attention to him he's just quietly making like really smart plays um so I, I think I'm kind of at this point honestly leaning a little bit more toward JBD because I really I, I think he's been really solid and his underlying numbers have been really good and all of that um but I've liked Thompson too, and I I really hope that they both uh, they both continue on this trajectory and find full time spots. I sure hope so. I mean, I'd certainly agree with the fact about Thompson, where I'd say it's more entertaining to watch him. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've been, I mean, his his stats don't really back it up. Like they haven't been too great, but then again, it's it's hard as a young defenseman. But I have been impressed just with the eye test, like watching his, his play defensively and like how physically strong he looks because, you know, I came into the season with the assumption that it was, he was pretty much more of an offensive defenseman, which as you mentioned, he's shown great flashes of that. And, you know, he's putting up good points in the AHL as well. So um, yeah, I guess it sort of depends like what you prefer as a, as a hockey fan, as a hockey coach, whatever if you prefer a guy that you don't notice very much like JBD or if you prefer a flashy guy like Thompson. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to kind of follow them over the next couple seasons because I don't expect both of them to be full-time NHL players just based on the odds. Like it'd be unlikely, but you know, I think there's a decent chance that at least one of them can be a, a constant in the lineup, um, which is exciting. So now, what about the other three with Kelly, Kastelik, and Sokolov? Yeah, um, Kelly and Kastelik, I I mean, I honestly, I don't notice Kastelik that much. When I do notice him, usually, you know, he's making good plays. I'm, I'm happy with it. Kelly, I think, is a great fourth liner. Like, just, just a guy that, like, um, he's great in small doses. I don't expect him to, to be, you know, a huge point producer or anything. Um, but he's really, really good in that role. 
and I, I would certainly be happy to to keep him in that role moving forward. Uh, Sokolov, I haven't been like overly impressed with his play in the NHL. I think it's going to take a little bit more time, um, but I'm really hoping, obviously, that uh, uh, that he does pan out eventually because he's been pretty good in the minors and um, obviously a, a guy that's very easy to root for. Absolutely. With, with Sokolov, I mean, you know, he's been not like astronomically better this season, but definitely better than last year. He has 31 points in 37 games in the AHL. Um, but yeah, he has been a bit invisible in Ottawa. And He's also been playing on the fourth line, though, so yeah, it's like kind of hard to tell, right? Exactly. Like, is it because he's playing there, or like, if you put him next to Tim Stutzler, would he suddenly start scoring goals? Who right. Knows, right? Yeah. But, it, but he's certainly, I mean, he's a guy that we knew he was pretty raw when, when they drafted him, even as a 20-year-old. You know, this is a guy who's had to work so much on his skating mm-hmm. and it has improved, but I still think it needs, you know, that continuous work. And he is a guy that isn't going to quit on, on making the NHL. So I'm confident that he can at least be an NHL player. Who knows if he's like a top six guy or something, but I think the vibes of the team go <laughs> soaring through the roof. If he ends up, you know, being a constant, and they're already through the roof, right? Like, <laughs> Man, they they could, how how much higher can they go? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a perfect segue to my my final question here, Beata, which is just yeah, how were the vibes with this team? How can you describe it? They're so good. This team is so much fun. Like every single day, like I go on Twitter and the official Senators account is tweeting out pictures of these guys just hugging each other in practice, <laughs> and it always like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, always makes my day. Um, you know, the post-game videos, have you noticed that they, like, the, with the helmet videos, oh, they always play Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by ABBA as they're, like, putting on <laughs> yeah, the yeah, helmet, yeah. and it makes me so happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's just everything about it. Like, I, I, I am obsessed with this team. They're so, <laughs> they're obviously such good friends. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're a content machine. It's just, they, they, they do seem like they really love each other and and that's awesome and like that is such a a good silver lining in a season that is it's not like a lost season or something but like you know it's another season without the playoffs and just sort of wondering what's going to happen next and when you can just sort of enjoy these small little moments it's just so it just makes being an NHL fan that much better I swear if the national media paid more attention to the Sens or if they had been better in the last few years, the Sens would be like the number one team on hockey Tumblr and like AO3 (laughs) and stuff. Like the fanfic writers would eat this up and I give it maximum two years before they finally catch on. Like these are going to be the next avalanche where everyone like, you know, casual, like get ready guys. We're about to have so many new fans. I mean, I saw not know who this team was a few years ago. I saw that you've retweeted a few times, like, um, some, what are they called? Like hype videos, I guess of like, I think there was one I recently, oh, just like that. yeah, like that yeah. one was really good. I love that. I know. I know the fan cam makers are starting to catch on. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's cool. awesome. But if you in our community, it's great. For sure. Well, that'll do it for today. But is there anything you'd like to plug for the listeners, Beata? Um, well, if you're subscribed to this podcast, you will at some point, <laughs> uh, get my podcast actually. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> you're probably like so annoyed with me already, and you know, um, 
this was obviously a very different vibe from my usual podcast. But yeah, uh, if you would like to hear me talk about very different things, you can listen to This Amelnik in Life, uh, which is also on the Silver 7 Podcast Network. Uh, we're kind of on hiatus at the moment. We'll be back for next season, probably. Um, and obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at CBeataE, so C-B-E-A-T-A-E, and uh, read my writing at Silver 7 Sends. All right. So you heard her. Go follow her there. Thanks again for coming on, Beata. It's always fun. It was a good time. Thanks for having me. Thanks. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost for Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7 Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointCast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Let's get ready for the trade deadline. Adios. Adios.